We're kind of hoping at the end of the day, parents and children rejoin and uh, it all works out. So uh, hopefully that's going to be good. And so it is kind of a, a new component to our worship. And so um, if you'll think about K through K and down will be in the children's area, in the nursery area. Uh, so if you go out into the hallway, you take a right to go to the nursery area, and I think it's the first room on the left. If it's first through fourth graders, then it's going to be in the new children's area, and so you can pick those kids up at that time. So, hey, I'm glad uh, to spend this time with you today. Uh, I want to pray here in just a moment. Uh, I want to say about Africa that Africa is one of the ways that God stretches us as a congregation and reminds us that His kingdom is greater than just what we do as a church in our local area. Um, Jesus taught us that we were to take the gospel into all the nations of the world. And if the church today is not careful, we will become inward focused and self-consumed with what we're about and what we want to do and some of that's good but we have to be careful that we do not build our own kingdom within the four walls of Huntington First Baptist Church Africa is one of the ways in our church that we are reminded that the kingdom stretches around all the world and you know part of it let me just talk about missions giving this is not really I'll cut my sermon short I promise this is my sermon time uh, we give over 15% of our church's designated money, whatever we get in, that goes to missions. And it's really beyond that, but 15% we know. Um, and in some respects, you could say, you know what, that doesn't do anything for us as a church in these four walls. And maybe rightfully so, we could say that. But we are here to be kingdom people that give our lives away for the building of the kingdom. I guess, you know, probably the same could be said. You know, sometimes we associate what we give to missions as our tithe as a church. No, we give it because it's the thing to do. Uh, uh, I guess some people could look at the money they give and you say, well, okay, so I, I tithe the Huntington First Baptist Church. What does that do for me? Well, it's not always about me. It's about building the kingdom. And so God is teaching us, and he uses certain aspects of our life uh, to say, no, it's bigger than you. And, and sometimes you don't get, by giving A, you get B. Maybe you don't always see it. But it's about us having a kingdom perspective that is beyond our four walls. And I believe Africa is one of those things. Huntington First Baptist Church this is a part of our DNA as a church that the kingdom is bigger than the four walls of Huntington First Baptist Church. Amen? Amen. And we have to surrender ourselves to that, whether we see the benefit of it directly or not. It builds the kingdom. I want you uh, to take, there's a little sheet at the end of your rows you, you can pass the sign-in clipboard also, but hopefully on top of that sign-in clipboard, 
is some little sheets and it's your notes. As this year we have talked about Ignite, uh, this sheet of paper condenses down some thoughts or reminders of what we've been talking about and God bringing spiritual renewal to our midst. And it has a definition of revival or spiritual renewal. It talks about what we've been talking about the last several weeks. And on the back are some scriptures and also uh, another statement from Evan Roberts from the Welsh Revival in 1904 in Wales. And I want, and there may not be enough because you never know how many people sit on a particular row. There may not be enough. You may have to steal from another row when you get finished or something. But I would like everyone to have one of these and just put it inside your Bible. There are some points in some of the scriptures that I will uh, speak about this morning are on what I would consider the back side of that sheet. It may be actually the front. But I want you to have these. I encourage you to sign up for our devotionals also, and you can be getting those every morning. The, um, the scripture that God led me to weeks ago is from 1 Kings chapter 18, and we've spent two weeks ago, we spent in our spiritual renewal morning, and then last Sunday we also spent in 1 Kings 18, the story of Elijah, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Actually, the story starts with King Ahab. In 1 Kings chapter 16, King Ahab becomes the king, and it says at the end of chapter 16 that he did wickedly in the sight of the Lord more than any of the kings that had preceded him. He marries a foreign woman by the name of Jezebel, who is a worshiper of Baal, and Ahab, the, the king of God's people, introduces the worship of a foreign god, and he builds a temple. He erects a, an, an image to Baal, and he leads the people to worship Baal. God's response in 1 Kings 17:1 is to send the prophet Elijah, who we haven't heard from before. It's just like God's response, the great prophet Elijah, and Elijah stands to announce to king there will be no rain until I say so. And really what he meant was God says so. You see, there's always consequences when our hearts depart from God. <laughs> and the reality is, yes, we can leave God on our own terms, but God will always bring consequences to remind us that our hearts have drifted from Him. And so God withholds the rain three and a half years Chapter 18, verse 1, God says to Elijah, go present yourself to Ahab and tell him that I'm going to send rain. And we've read the story the last couple weeks, and I'll just tell it this morning, that Elijah gathers Ahab, the prophets of Baal, and God's people to the top of Mount Carmel. And he speaks to them about who is their God. And he asks them the question, you're going to have to choose today, he really says to them. He challenges them. You're going to have to choose today. Who is your God? If Yahweh, the God of Israel, is God, then serve him. If Baal, he is your God, then you serve him. But you will have to choose today. And I think it's one of those moments in Scripture that I can just sense in, in my spirit when I read it. The Scripture says 
in verse 21 of 1 Kings 18 that the people answered him not a word. When he said, choose your God today, who's going to be your God? They just sat there, or stood there, and they didn't have an answer at that time. And Elijah proposed a contest, and he said, we're going we're to make a sacrifice, and we're going to create an altar, and we're going to lay out the wood, and we're going to Take a, you're going to take a bull and I'm going to take a bull and we're going to slaughter that bull and we're going to put it on the altar. And he said, the God who answers by fire, he said, we're not going to put fire in it. We're not going to burn the altar, which would be what you would customarily do. The God who sends fire, he is God. And Elijah allows the prophets of Baal to go first. <laughs> and they create the altar, they lay out the wood, they sacrifice the bull, they put the bull on the altar, and then they begin to pray to Baal that he would send fire. I don't know if you haven't read the story, I, you know, it's kind of hard to imagine. You, Baal doesn't answer. And Brother Melvin, Elijah just talks trash, which is my biblical basis for when I was playing basketball, just talking smack, you know, just... Uh, he just says, you know, where, where is it? What I don't know. Has he gone on a trip? Why, why isn't he answering you? They go all day long, and Baal never answers. Do you know why Baal never answers? Because Baal is not a god. He's a figment of their imagination, the pagan people of their area. And after all day, they've cut themselves, they've danced around, they've acted the fool, and Baal is not answered. There's a verse of scripture in verse 30, I'll read here in just a second, and it says that Elijah said, everybody come here. And he builds an altar, and he sets the wood in order, and he sacrifices the bull, and he prays a very simple prayer, I don't know, maybe took 30 seconds to pray, and God sends fire. And the response of God's people they verbalized it, they vocalized it with their mouth. The Lord, which is the covenant name, Yahweh. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. And Brother Sean's favorite part of the whole story is then Elijah took and killed all the prophets of Baal. But anyhow, that's a little bit of the gory detail. That's just Brother Sean's favorite part of the story. In 1 Kings 18, I really just want to share one verse of Scripture, and I want to share some thoughts this morning. In 1 Kings 18, verse 30, one verse of Scripture. It says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I want to focus on that one step that Elijah took that day that he repaired the altar of the Lord. And I want you to just kind of go with me in your minds to imagine that scene and, and what Elijah did. I thought about why was it an altar? Why did Elijah, when he got to the mountain, 
why did there have to be an altar there? It's kind of interesting. The prophets of Baal had an altar, and then Elijah made an altar. And here's the reason there was an altar. For both the worshipers of Baal and the worshipers of the one true God, Yahweh, the Lord, the altar was the place that they connected or they encountered their God. The center of their worship and what they did, it it focused upon an altar, a place of sacrifice. That altar symbolized their personal relationship with God. It was where they connected, they encountered God. For both groups, this goes back all the way to the Old Testament law and what God had prescribed for them. Um, It was a part of the covenant, as we talked about last Sunday, that God had made with the children of Israel. And the altar had great significance. It was the place of sacrifice. It was the place that they were, their sin was atoned for and they connected and they encountered their God, the very center of the worship of, of, of the temple, the tabernacle. Their place of worship was the altar. What we discover from all the verses about the prophets of Baal is that altar was no connection to a true God because their God did not answer. I guess they thought he would, but he did not. There was no connection. But the altar was the place where they connected with God. It symbolized their personal relationship with God, at least for the followers of the true God. And I think it's very significant that Elijah says to the people, come near to me. Come, and and it says, so all the people came near to him. And they drew near to that place of the altar. I would contend this morning that one of the starting points for God to do a new work, a fresh work in our hearts, is we have to return to the place that is the very basic place. We have to return to that personal relationship with God, the place where we connect with God. Now, if you're thinking with me this morning... You're saying, okay, Brother Darrell, I get it. The Old Testament, there was an altar and they slaughtered animals, but we don't do that today. It's kind of interesting that that's Old Testament. In fact, we don't use that word testament a whole lot, but it, really it's a, it's a word in the Old English that means covenant. It means when we talk about the Bible being Old Testament and New Testament, what we're really talking about is Old Covenant, New Covenant, and what you could say is, well, the Old Covenant, there was an altar and there was a sacrifice of an animal, and you say... So if you think with me this morning, you go, wait a second. In the New Covenant, where is it? Where is the altar? We sang about it this morning. It's the cross of Calvary. It is the place where we encounter God. It's the place when we surrender our lives to the one who gave his life for us that we experience life and our sins are taken away. So to say that 
Elijah brought him back to the altar. It's like the preacher today in New Testament times, 2,000 years after the crucifixion of Jesus, saying, no, we've got to come, and we've got to come to the foot of the cross. Because that's the place where we are reminded, it's the place where we connect with God, that God made provision for us. In fact, it superseded the old covenant. The new covenant is God said, I will come myself and I will die for your sins. And the only way you can get to me is through that sacrifice that I have made on the cross. And so on this side of the cross, we celebrate that altar, which is the place that we encounter God. But you know, whether we talk about the old covenant, the new covenant, the reality is, is our relationship with God is based upon a covenant. And last Sunday, I talked about, for just a few moments, what is God's side of the covenant. And I really have two things, two questions that have come to my mind in the last month or so as I've been thinking about this year and our emphasis. And one of the questions is, what could we expect of God? And the second question is, what does God expect of us? What does God expect of us? And implied, if we live up to His expectations of what He expects of us, what could we expect of God? What does God expect of us? And what could we expect of God? What is God's side of the covenant? What is our side of the covenant? And last Sunday, I talked about how God's side of the covenant is that He is provider and He is protector, and He is redeemer. And not only do we see that at the altar in the Old Testament, but we see that at the cross on the New Testament side. That God is our provider, He is our protector, He is our redeemer. And when we surrender our lives to Him, we enter into a covenant, and God says, no, I will be your God. And we talked about that last Sunday. But this Sunday, the question is, what does God expect of us? If that's His side of the covenant, if that's what He has done for us, what, could he, what does He expect of us? In fact, as Elijah, have I been saying Isaiah or Elijah? I've probably mixed up some prophets if I've been, you know, who knows, you know, thinking, I think I said Elijah, but maybe I said Isaiah. Elijah puts this in front of God's people. And I said that he, he uses 12 stones. He reminds him of the covenant of the 12 tribes of Israel. He, he says that I'm building an altar in the name of Yahweh, the Lord. And any time in the Old Testament that you see the word Lord and it's all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is, in our English version, it's a way of denoting uh, not the word Lord that's capital L, little o, little r, little d. When it's all caps, it refers to the covenant name of God, Yahweh, that name. Remember when Moses was at the burning bush and he's trying to think of any excuse possible why he can't be used of God? And finally he says, what is your name? And God said, I am that I am. You tell them, I am. In Hebrew, Yahweh. And so, well, it's, it's the difference between people calling me pastor 
of First Baptist Church and calling me Daryl. Yes, God is Lord. He is God. But he is a personal God who made a personal covenant with a group of people, the descendants of Abraham. And he said, you call me Yahweh. I am. That I am. And so Isaiah, see, I, Elijah built the altar in the name of Yahweh. It's not an altar to God. It is an altar to Yahweh. The covenant God who made a relationship. And you see, when I surrender my life at the foot of the cross of that altar of the New Testament, I also am given a name and I become His. But there are certain expectations. If God has done that, what would He expect of me? Hmm. And that's what Elijah was confronting God's people with. Who's going to be your God? What is your history? What has God done for you in the past? And how are you living that out? And to say that Yahweh is God and then to go to the temple of Baal and worship Him is an affront to a jealous God. Here's the thing that God expects of us. And this is the most <laughs> significant thing today. God expects of us complete devotion to him and him alone that's what he expects if we say that he is our God then we should not worship or serve anything else that's what the prophet was confronting God's people with you have this history you have these other places of worship but you've diluted your devotion and you, you, you're at least double-minded if not have actually just have left. God expects complete devotion of us that we would give Him our whole heart. 2 Chronicles 16.9, which is on your sheet, says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. What does God expect? God expects loyalty. And the promise of that scripture is God will show himself strong for anyone who is loyal, who is completely devoted, who gives God their whole heart Jesus put it another way in Matthew 6, 24, and that's also on your sheet. Jesus said a man cannot serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will despise the one and be loyal to the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which was wealth, riches. No, you're going to have to choose. And God is a jealous God. And, and we cannot reserve part of our life for God and then do other things. God says, what does he expect? If I'm going to be your God, if I'm going to be your covenant God, my side is I'm going to be redeemer. I'm going to be provider. I'm going to be protector. 
but I expect of you complete devotion and anything else that's less than that is not acceptable. God expects complete devotion. And what happened in the life of Israel happens in our lives. In time, our hearts tend to drift away from God. Happens in marriages, other relationships. If we are not attentive, our hearts tend to drift away from God. Another way we could put it is that our love grow, grows cold. Jesus, when he spoke to the seven churches of Asia Minor in the book of Revelation, he said to the church of Ephesus, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You have left your first love. I don't know all that Jesus meant by that. He could have meant the church of Ephesus, you've left the love you had for me at first. Or he may have meant by first, first in priority, not first in time. And he said, I was to be your first love, your only love. But you've departed. The tendency in our lives is if we are not attentive, our hearts will drift from God and that completely devotion that he has for us in Hebrews the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 3 he said beware brethren lest there be any of be in you hmm. beware brethren lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The writer of Hebrews identified this tendency, this reality in our lives that given time, our fire grows dim and our love grows cold and our hearts begin to depart from God. And we must exhort one another. Otherwise, our hearts will become hardened, which is what happens in life. And so the call, really the call of Elijah, the call for us today, the reason your pastor saying any of this today, the call of God is that we would return to Him. We would return to Him. Malachi 3, 7, it says, Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. The call, 2018, 
at least at the start of the year, is that our hearts would return to God. Now I understand that's a little bit in your face. It's a little bit in my face. How do we know that our hearts have drifted from God? If you're sitting there and you say, well, I don't really need these sermons, I'm okay. Oh, no, then those, these sermons are exactly for you, bullseye. If you are comfortable and satisfied and you think you are okay, oh, no. Then I can assure you because it's true in my life, in the same circumstances, my heart has drifted from God. Can't tell you how far. doesn't really matter it really only matters which direction we're going is our heart going further away from God is our God is our heart pursuing God the call today for spiritual renewal is a call in our hearts to return to God revival spiritual awakening is simply that it is a return to God and the promise of the scripture is God says if you'll return to me I will return to you. You know one of the other indicators that our hearts have drifted from God is that there is no power or passion in our lives. I think back to that scripture, my first of my scriptures in 2 Chronicles 16, 9 when it says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. God will show up and will show himself strong and he will show up in power. And so when there's a lack of power or passion in my life, it is an indicator for me personally that my heart has drifted away from God. And so the call is to return. At the start of 2018, we need to spend some time making, making a personal assessment of where we are. You see, I think God's people in Elijah's day said, we, we, no, we all right, we doing, we good, we, we good. Until the prophet of God stands up and says, no, you got to choose who you're going to serve because we're not going to keep doing this and God's not going to allow it. And one God didn't show up at all because he's not a true God. But let me tell you, the one true God showed up in a way, we're going to look at it next Sunday. I don't want to steal his thunder or lightning or whatever it was. But I mean, when the fire came, it consumed everything. The sacrifice, the wood, the rocks, the dust, the water, everything was consumed when God showed up. And when we don't see the power of God, in our lives, in our church, we have to make an assessment. And we have to say, I have to assume that my heart has drifted from God. And so the call is, return to me, and I will return to you. Brother Shane's going to come, uh, our music team, and lead us this morning. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand.
And I, I exhort you in these days 